Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to our penultimate Loki spoiler special podcast. Yes, Loki may have finished its first season on Disney+, Plus, but undeterred, we're keeping the content coming. And boy, are you in for a treat. We had Kate Heron, the director of all six episodes of the show, on our regular podcast a few weeks ago, just before Loki began its run. And she promised that when all was said and done, she would come back and talk spoilers with us at length. And she was true to her word. Last night, I caught up with Kate on Squadcast. And we talked for just over an hour about pretty much every major development the two of us could think of over the six episodes. Well, maybe not every major development. The second I stopped recording, Kate remembered that we hadn't talked about the soundscape, the montage of MCU quotes that begins the sixth and final episode. But that, my friends, will have to wait for another time, or perhaps another timeline. In the meantime, here we are, Kate Heron and myself, talking about everything from He Who Remains to Loki's sexuality and all that's in between. But we start, as ever, with a big question on everyone's lips. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on this very special Loki spoiler special by the director of all six episodes of the first season, Kate Heron. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just been enjoying watching the show go out there and I don't have to keep He Who Remains a secret anymore, so that's a massive relief. <laughs> <laughs> Did you nearly spill it at any point? Was there you know, family and friends? An inadvertent tweet at 3 a.m. He remains is coming in the last episode. You won't believe it. What's, what's going to happen? I somehow managed to not. I remember one person once asked me what era I thought Mobius was from. And this was like before, obviously, we knew that they were all variants. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I kind of had to like pivot away. And I probably looked like I had a, middle, a daydream in the middle of my sentence and was like, he's just, you know, been at the TV for a long time. <laughs> that was like the worst one where in my head I was like, oh, God, oh, God. But uh, I think that's the closest I've come to ruining the show. <laughs> OK, well, what nearly came out of your mouth vis-a-vis -vis Mobius well, in this time period? I always, in my head, I think because of what we were pulling from, right, with like references, like for the detective nature of it, I always imagined that he was like a 50s detective. And just like his demeanor and how he is, I don't know, I could see him fitting into that kind of world. He seems like a bit old school to me in some ways. He does, like, doesn't he? Yeah, like an old school gentleman or something. Yeah. So I just, I can see him coming from the 50s. That was my theory anyway, but whether he's from the, who knows. <laughs> Do they have? I, mean, I don't know. I don't. I haven't researched the history mm -hmm. of of jet skis. But do they have jet skis in the fifties? Oh, you know what? I don't know either. That might be. Maybe that's where <laughs> the writers, when if they show us where he's from, where they'll they'll begin. They'll be like, "What was the the era for the jet ski?" <laughs> yeah, maybe he's the creator of the jet ski. Maybe that's why maybe. he's got such a, an affinity for it. But uh, yeah, but listen, Kate. We we love the show, as as you know. Um, but I have to, I have to, I've got a bone to pick with you. I've got a bone. I'm gonna start. <laughs> I'm gonna start with the bone to pick with you, and it is, you did not at any point in the show show us Mobius on a jet ski. Now, what's going on? <laughs> I know, like it was so bad because like me and the writers as well, like as the show was like coming out, and like we were seeing cosplay of Mobius on jet ski, loads of art of him on jet skis, and we were like, oh man, people are gonna be very upset with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because obviously that was never the plan. It's one of those things where you don't, you can't predict what people are going to glom onto before the show goes out. 
So that must have been just like a kind of the, not not a throwaway thing because I think it's a big part of who he is and obviously a big part of who he was. But it was at the same time, it's just a line there about how he likes jet skis. And then all of a sudden people are doing that and and going, if Mobius is not a jet ski, we riot. I don't yeah. see any rioting in the streets, mind, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sorry to the public that we did not deliver on the jet ski. But, I, but you know what? When the people demand it, sometimes Marvel will deliver. So maybe they, <laughs> maybe they could do like a petition for it. Or I'm sure there probably is already a petition for it. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's going to happen is that there's going to be season two, and I know, I know, obviously, you know, you're not involved in season two, but it's going to be season two, and it's going to be shrouded in secrecy, and then about three months before it comes out on Disney Plus, there's going to be a Lego toy of Mobius on a jet ski, <laughs> and that's going to be that. My theory is it'll be like a kind of Panic Room style opening that you th- you don't <laughs> quite know what machine you're moving through, and then you realise it's the mechanics of a jet ski. And then you pull really, you pull out and you realize Mobius is on the jet ski. <laughs> oh, yes. Imagine. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, so now, now we've, we've got this, this cold open for season two. Can I tempt, I'm, I'm not authorized. I don't act in a, an official capacity, but can we tempt you to come back for season two or is your mind made up? No, I, I, I am so proud of everything I did on season one. And, you know, when I, when I joined the show, we were always just making that first season. You know, season two came out, uh, you know, out of goodwill, obviously, because people just loved so much what we were doing in the first season. And mm. I think for me, like, I feel like my part has been done. And just also I have some other projects that I'm working on now. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, yet to be announced and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, but I just, um, yeah, but it was just kind of like, this was my thought. And also I just gave it everything, like all my heart, all my soul. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what someone will do with it next and how they can kind of subvert what we've set up and build upon mm-hmm. that. So They're going to ruin it. They're going to ruin it. <laughs> so we need to come back and do season two. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Tom, Tom, I spoke to Tom Hiddleston for, for a spoiler special as well, and he, he said roughly the same thing, that season two, not last minute, but was a fairly late in the day development. Um, mm-hmm. So, which fascinates me. Because that effectively means that the end of the show was meant to be the end of the show. And the end of the show leaves Loki, and I know he can go other places in the MCU, obviously, but it leaves Loki in a really, really dark place. He has been defeated. Yeah, that that actual, I would say, like, the up to where he goes into the alternate TVA, we were working on the very last five minutes of the show like right until we were filming it almost basically like i filmed mm. i think the ending we did i think i even did that in additional so we knew we had season two when we came up with that ending i think okay. it was like we always knew they were going to go to the citadel obviously and the multiverse would be released uh but in terms of him going to an alternate tva like that came in much later we had so many different endings and i think when that came in it was just like oh this is perfect and then even more perfect right because uh, you know, it, it, it's a great question and has, and I think I love the Twilight Zone kind of energy of it. But I also think if there wasn't a season two, it would be quite an impactful ending <laughs> to leave him there. You know, you'd hope obviously they'd answer it in a film or something else. But yeah. 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 Because it, it's one of those things where you're expecting, you're expecting Loki in some way to emerge triumphant. But um, mm-hmm. one of the themes of the show is that Loki's not only survive, but that they lose. Uh, yeah. over and over again. And that is something that, that really happens it, for both Lokis in the final episode. Uh, Sylvie fulfills her mission. She fulfills her life's work. She kills the head of the TVA, 
but at what cost? And Loki just plain loses <laughs> loses everything. He finally finds something worth loving and then loses that as well. And that's a really dark place to, to end uh, the show. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, like, I, I suppose on the Loki's always survive. That's why I wanted to do that shot, you know, where he lands back in the TVA and it's like, you know, I guess they weren't even really together together, but it's almost like that post breakup heartbreak, right? Where he's just yeah. sat and mourning the loss of something that he cared so much about and her decision. And I wanted to do that push and shot where, you know, you kind of see that change of heart in him where he kind of pulls himself together and there's still hope. So you still feel that, you know, Loki's will survive. <laughs> but then obviously we have that rub pull at the end and it's like, okay, it's going to be a big challenge <laughs> for him to pull through this one. But I, I think it, I really wanted to show that he still had fight in him at the end, basically. I obviously do want to talk about Loki and Sylvia and that relationship and how mm-hmm. two-sided it is, um, because I think that's open to debate, uh, certainly. Mm-hmm. But but what I want to start with, effectively, I know we've been talking for eight minutes, but mm-hmm. effectively this is the beginning now, is is the end. And mm-hmm. the part of the discussion of the show, I mean, it's, it's there right from episode two, uh, I believe, when Loki and Mobius have that conversation about, you know, what is the end of time, what is after that. So you have these all these discussions about everything being preordained and the ending is not written, that sort of thing. But obviously you guys, from the start, you and Michael Waldron and the writing team, have to come up with the end. So mm-hmm. is that where you started? Did you know how it was going to end for every character on the chessboard when you started? No. So basically, I think what we knew was the rough structure of it was that Loki and Sylvia were always going to go to the Citadel. They were going to meet He Who Remains and the the multiverse would basically be released. And that, and that was everything we had. But we had lots of versions of like, I mean, even episode six, the beginning, like there used to be a big battle scene where it was almost like a series of trials to get to the office. And I think something that came out of um, the pan, you know, the pandemic when we were shut down was that I was cutting episode one and the conversation with, you know, Owen and Tom was like so riveting. It gave us mm. a lot of, I think, confidence in the sense of, oh, actually, let's just really lean into the conversation in episode six. We don't need this big battle to the office. And And then I think something else that we came upon later was, you know, we were trying to work out oh, what should be the thing, you know, the kind of thing he gives them that is the battle. And we we're like, well, actually, it's about Loki and Sylvie and their relationship. And it should be tied into that and the severing of that that causes, you know, this horrible decision to come from Sylvie. So once we had that, I think that felt right. But in terms of all the other characters, no, I think that's like kind of the fun with Marvel is that we were always developing and evolving but i would say when we went back to the second half of shooting later in the year everything was settled then in terms of you know where they were on the chessboard so to speak because as we discussed loki our loki uh, tom's loki finishes the the show as a very very different character than mm-hmm. he is when we we first encounter him uh he goes through an awful lot there's a there's a theme and i asked tom this but there's a theme that runs through, all the way through the show about glorious purpose and I wondered if that was a starting point for you guys as well. And that it's it's something that Loki has said and he says repeatedly and other Lokis said repeatedly here. It's obviously the last mm-hmm. thing we hear classic Loki say. But there's a sense that he's never really defined what it means for him. Glorious purpose, that it's a mm-hmm. bit nebulous. That he thinks it's, it's about posturing, about being this villainous leader. And when he discovers what his glorious purpose actually is, it's almost too late. His, his glorious mm-hmm. purpose is not to to lead or to be the bad guy. It is to be something more. This you know the cracked romantic hero almost, mm-hmm. and it's too late for him. Is that where you guys began vis a vis Loki himself? 
I think I'm just thinking that I think for us, yeah, I think in terms of the romantic hero, that's definitely something or anti-hero, I guess, in the sense that we always knew that the story was going to be about self-love, right? And that he was going to yeah. fall in love with a version of himself and they were going to kind of help him grow uh, past some of his demons and that he wouldn't be a completely transformed Loki by the end because, you know, I think our show, I've always tried to work out the timeline of it and I think it's roughly maybe two weeks <laughs> that he's on this <laughs> kind of crazy journey. And, but I, but I do think, yeah, that was very important to us that, because, you know, I think his arc over the last 10 years of the MCU that felt so earned, right? Because it was over 10 years and it was very mm -hmm. gradual that we saw him go from like villain to anti-hero. And I think we were aware that obviously we were six weeks and we had those weak gaps where everyone would see this change subtly happening. But I think it was still a lot shorter than what we had before. And also he wouldn't be the same kind of anti-hero as the Loki we saw in Infinity War because he's a different Loki. He's been on a completely different sort of journey. So I, I think that was a fun thing for us and something me and Tom spoke about a lot as well was like, let's kind of show sides of Loki that we haven't seen before. So like I remember, for example, when we were filming the barbershop scene and also, to be honest, the end of the timekeeper's chamber, you know, when he's trying to tell her he likes her, you've never seen Loki tongue-tied before. Yeah. He's the, mm -hmm. you know, the god, I'd say man, but the god with an answer to everything. <laughs> he just is. Yeah. And like, yeah. I thought that was very sweet and very interesting. And it kind of shows a vulnerability to him that we haven't got to dig into before. So I think that was something we were always chasing with the show was even just from his magic, you know what I mean? Like, where can we show new aspects of this character? So, yeah. So I think it was yeah. definitely something, yeah, I, I think definitely, even though we were kind of working out maybe the location where he'd be at the end, the emotional kind of arc of it, yeah, we were always kind of working towards that kind of shape across it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll come back to that in a second as well. But the the fact you mentioned that he he displays new aspects of his powers calls to mind that moment in episode three as well, where he seems to there's a falling building and yeah. he seems to stop it and almost reverse it, and that's intriguing to me. There was lots of speculation mm -hmm. that maybe he had pocketed the time stone and was <laughs> uh, was fiddling around with that. But what what what's happening? What happened there? So it's meant to be his telekinetic powers because we mm -hmm. see them in Dark World very briefly when he's in his yes. cell, you know, and he, yeah. So I realize no one can just see what I just did. <laughs> I just <started> very <laughs> casually acting out the bit where he screams. But, um, but yeah, but I think that I, I knew that had been established. And so it was like, oh, well, let's try and bring that into places where we can. And also the fun as well of working out, well, Sylvie obviously has, you know, she can enchant people, but what other magic does she have that might cross over with his magic? So I think that was kind of fun as well, was seeing where there were similarities, but also differences between them both. Yes, because you, you see him as well. There's the episode two, he, he draws something to himself using telekinesis, and there's yeah. a couple of times, you know, obviously we've never seen it on that scale before, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think we were also expecting, in the way that uh, WandaVision had given Wanda such a, a glow up in terms mm -hmm. of her powers in the same way that, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier did the same for, for Sam. I think a lot of people were expecting that to happen with Loki. And there's an element of that where he has this new power of enchantment and mm -hmm. he's realizing that he is more powerful than perhaps he imagined. But, uh, but no, that's not, that's not, that, that wasn't mm -hmm. the, the be all and end all. It wasn't the, the MO overall. Yeah. I think for me, like, I, I really wanted to show as much of his magic as possible and also it was about changing because he has his daggers but obviously we give him i don't want to say it wrong um 
I think it's called Leviathan. It's from the Norse mythology because but mm-hmm. basically we wanted to have a new weapon for him. And I was like, oh, well, you know, he has Graham obviously in the comics. But I was like, can we give him the sword from the mythology? I think that'd be really cool. So that's how he ends up with the sword that Kid Loki gives him in the, you know, in episode five as well. But I think mm-hmm. for us, it was like, I mean, for me, it was kind of working within the parameters, I guess, of the story and seeing where could I add magic moments? Because <laughs> also the limit we have, I guess, in episode one and two, majority of two, is that you can't use magic, uh, sorry, magic in the TVA. Yes. So I think that for me, it was like, okay, once we're in Lamentus, I think that's why with that one, uh, I was excited to kind of bring magic in where I could there because I was like, I've seen a lot of, you know, one style shots, but I haven't seen one with magic. So I thought, okay, well, that's mm. something we can do in there for sure. So. Yeah, I, I, I do. I want to talk about that that one as well, and a, a number of the the you know the moments where you, you can really sense you setting out your directorial stall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's the one there's the amazing shot that opens episode five where you're mm-hmm. turning the camera upside down, going yeah. through different realms, <laughs> and even something as see even th- something as simple as you, you talk about the conversation uh, with mm-hmm. he who remains in episode six. But when just knowing when to push the camera in and mm-hmm. pull it back on Jonathan Majors, I thought was a really interesting choice. There's the moment when obviously, you know, he, at least he claims that we have gone mm-hmm. past a point where he knows everything mm-hmm. and you push the camera in on him. Can you talk about that? That, 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 yeah. that and uh, as you say earlier on, having the confidence to just basically stage this conversation in this yeah. final episode between three <laughs> characters. Yeah. So um, Autumn, my DP, and her, basically her first camera of Andrew Fletcher, I spoke with Autumn about it and Andrew kind of him and Tom, it was like a beautiful ballet the way they've worked together. Cause I think he was so used to kind of working with Tom and like, and I think the thing he did with Jonathan that was awesome was that, you know, I block out the scene and get a rough shape of where the movements are. And I think I remember speaking to him, I think about, yeah, that moment you're talking about when it's new time and wanting to feel close to him in that moment. But a lot of those moves when we went closer, it was, you know, Andrew kind of feeling it out and seeing, you know, where we could go close and where we should pull back. And then I would kind of mm. speak to them at the end and be like, oh, actually, could we be looser here or could we go in tighter at this moment? So I think mm. we sort of found a lot of that on the day. And and because a lot of it obviously is from Jonathan's performance, because on the day, obviously, you see that he's given you these little details and it's like, oh, actually, let's, you know, bring the audience in here. And in terms of episode five, I mean, that one's a really interesting one because like I basically I storyboarded, I think, nearly like 98 percent of the show pretty much like because of covid as well like i i was boarding all the action sequences and all the expected stuff but on Mm. top of that i then had to board very simple sequences almost because we needed to know how many people we needed in the background so we could safely work out okay how can we almost cheat our background so it looks like more or whether we have like digi doubles and not people actually there because it might not be safe and Sheru was a really interesting one because that's in episode three, obviously. And we did have to have actual people there. And it was a huge crowd. And I remember we deliberately, obviously the set was built outside, but also we had to, we had to stage it in a way that, you know, all our, all the people you see there, they were all isolating for like a week, I think, and taking loads of tests just so we could actually do it properly. Um, So it was, it took a lot of effort from a lot of people, which I'm very grateful for, but the episode five one's interesting. Sorry, just to jump back to that because yeah, fine. I never planned that as like a kind of one in that sense. Like we always had that it twists and goes into the elevator and then goes to the timekeeper head. But then originally it used to go to the courtroom. And it's just when I was in the edit with my editor, I was like, I just don't think this has like the right punch for going to the credits. I think we were always chasing that almost like, you know, 
X-Files like tease scene at the beginning and then you hear the music and you're like, oh, off mm -hmm. we go. But it just wasn't quite landing in the right way. And I'd had this shot basically where Loki wakes up and we kind of push in on him on the crane and then it kind of ended. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe I build that into this kind of city establisher shot that we were, I think we didn't even know where it was going to go. We just had that cool city shot we were kind of working on. So we put those together and then I, uh, this is the joy of working with Marvel. I asked basically the previous team, I was like, can you just add a crane up as they leave? Because it wasn't in our camera move. And then we'll add the monster there. And it'll be like this big monster reveal where it roars. And then that takes us the credit. So that I think that became like something I found in the edit. Definitely that one in particular. But yeah. That's amazing. That's <laughs> amazing. And, uh, and I think I want to go back to episode mm -hmm. six mm. Uh, in a way. And the, the again, the confidence of, of having such a, a long chunk of, mm -hmm. of He He Remains. Um, I want to talk about him first. He He Remains slash Kang. Um, <laughs> was that something you know that you guys arrived at organically, or when you came on the show, it was essentially we have this character. How do you use him? Mm -hmm. I think basically when I arrived on the show, it was always planned that they would go to the Citadel and they'd have a conversation with him. So that was kind of set in place. I would say, like, I don't think it was like he wasn't really. I think the main thing that changed was the sort of proposition he would give them and kind of what would happen there, you know, like between our characters. I think basically once like me and the writers in the studio were all discussing it and once we landed on, oh, it should be, he almost turns Loki and Sylvie. No, he doesn't turn them against each other, but it's just, you know, he gives them like a red and a blue pill and it's just Loki wants the blue and Sylvie wants the red. And then that's where the, you know, the drama rises from. So I think once we found yeah. that, that definitely got tailored into it. But no, I think, it was always the plan that it would be a bookended conversation, the show, which actually drew me in because I thought that was so exciting because I've listened to it in the spoiler podcast that you guys do and across mm -hmm. just general stuff that people were like, oh, this doesn't feel like the Marvel third act because really that's almost like our yeah. fifth episode instead. So I thought that was quite a bold and interesting idea. So I was like, yeah, I, I want to be part of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, and of course, you've got this really uh, exciting opportunity with Jonathan Majors as well because of what happens, because of... You know, he who remains his death. We you have potentially now unleashed infinite Kangs, infinite Jonathan Majors. What a concept! And uh, <laughs> it means that this he who remains is obviously going to be, I'd imagine, very different from the next time we see Kang, wherever that is. And that means that you could you've got a lot of freedom to craft this really idiosyncratic, very strange, off the wall characterization. Yeah, I think the fun thing that we spoke about a lot, me and Jonathan, was like. And that's why the the beginning was so important to me is that, you know, you hear the noise of the, un well, multiple universes around him. And then it's like, but it's very isolated and very quiet where he is in the Citadel. And I think me and him spoke about that balance of almost introvert and extrovert, because the only character mm -hmm. you get an impression that he talks to is Miss Minute. <laughs> like, yes. she's the only one. And like, that's, that's only like hinted at really. But other than her, like, it's like he hasn't spoken to people in a long time with Loki and Sylvie. So I think it was finding those little quirks, like where, you know, he's a little offbeat and a little bit, oh, he's been living, you know, a bit Grey Gardens, like he's been living at home <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but at the same time, he's this amazing storyteller and he does have this power he brings as a character. And I think that's just, you know, it was in the script. I think the thing I loved that Michael and Eric put in the script was that when you first meet him, He's really casual, you know, when the door opens, he's just like, oh, hey guys, how are you? Kind of, and I, and mm -hmm. I think you never expect that. And 
that inspired me to put that Miss Minutes jump scare earlier on because I, I felt like, well, because I think my, my producer was like, let's make her creepy. And I was like, yes, that would be great. And I was like, we should do a jump scare. That'd be really, because I, I love horror. And, but also I thought it'd be fun because if you put the jump scare up top, if I'm watching as an audience member, I don't then trust like anything beyond that point. I'm waiting to get scared mm-hmm. again. And so I, that kind of, for me, worked with, you know, the, the subversion of that with the elevator door opening, because it's not a jump scare. It's just a guy kind of sitting down and yep. he's very chilled out. So I think that was fun in balancing that out as well. And then obviously from that script, Jonathan's performance, because he's incredible. So And he has mm-hmm. a lot. He has a lot. I spoke to Michael for the magazine and he was mm-hmm. talking about how they, they knew that that Mm-hmm. That speech was, you know, in, in his own way, a big expo dump uh, as well. And <laughs> but he handles it so well. Uh, yeah. From a directing point of view, what was it like? We were hearing twenty minute takes. Is that right? Yeah. So interestingly, because I I started the shoot with the time theater scene with um, Owen and Tom, and we almost filmed that like a play because they all they mm-hmm. both knew like you know the script back to front, and in the end I was like, well. We can film it in sections, you know what I mean? Across like, for example, like my two shot of them, or we can just go for it and just film it. And, you know, Tom's a theatre actor, so he loved it. And I think Owen just was up for the challenge of it. He was like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's just go for it. And so we do these really long takes and we did the same thing with Jonathan, but Jonathan as well as a theatre actor in his background. So I think he kind of took to that in that way. And I think for them, it was quite fun, right? Because it wasn't like I was filming a section and then I was saying cut. It just kind of was like play the scene and yeah, let's just see kind of what happens. And it, and I think the fun thing with Jonathan was that we definitely got was on what was on script, but he also played a lot with it. And I know he spoke about in his inspiration, like, you know, he's, he's a trained clown. And so he tried to bring that in in places just in the movement and the playfulness of it. And I think mm. for us, it was really about, you know, like you mentioned, the camera moves can kind of, draw you in or draw you back and kind of where our eyes are or like you know are we keeping sylvie and loki in the same frame or are they now feeling separate in their separate close-ups because they're Mm -hmm. not on the same page anymore but i think the fun thing with jonathan was that i remember when we were blocking it he did that bit where he jumped up on the desk and it was great because it just felt like this big full stop to like that big thought and it was almost like that chapter's done and now we go on to the bit where he talks about you know if you think i'm evil wait till you meet my variants and I, i think that was really key because it kind of helped shift to the next, I guess it would almost be like the next location, but it wasn't the next location because we're in one location. So I think that was mm. really important for me was working out visually m- with the music, like everything basically where we where we're marking the end of these like kind of I guess chapters in this massive massive scene. So that definitely helped us. <laughs> wow! And mm. um, because Loki and Sylvia are listening to him for mm-hmm. a long time, they they occasionally interject. Were you were you worried at all about? losing them within the scene about them being passive within the scene was that something that you guys talked about it was definitely i think a balance in the edit with my editor emma mccleave so like i think we did some edits that were very he who remains heavy because obviously we were like jonathan and but then we would be like oh no actually we need to bring more of this in and i think the really the tightrope really with that was where are we going to loki where are we going to sylvie how are they feeling about it and finding those moments, you know, where I think there's one where like Sylvie looks over at Loki and she's kind of like, oh, you don't believe this, do you? And he kind of, he, he looks very engaged. And I think that was really important was working out where to place those moments in terms of his speech, just so then when this breakdown happens with them both later, it feels earned. Yeah. And you um, also in that scene, ultimately bring the Sylvie-Loki 
relationship to its head. And there's an awful lot going on there. Obviously, there's mm-hmm. the, 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 the kiss between them, which Sylvia initiates. But is she initiating it as a distraction, as a means to get the tempad and get rid of him? Or is there some emotion there? As you probably heard in our spoiler special, we're going back and forth on how <laughs> two-sided this relationship is. Loki's clearly into her. <laughs> yeah. But how much is she into him? And again, how much is he into her as her? Or is he seeing himself in her? Or does he see her as a project, something to be saved perhaps oh that's very interesting we've seen that in lots of movies <laughs> where it's like <laughs> i can fix you and it's like yeah oh no <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um <laughs> just evilly laughing to myself but like yeah <laughs> fools but no um no honestly i think for me like so i it's, it's kind of both right i think she, there is an aspect that yes she is taking the tempad, but no, I honestly think for me, the kiss is genuine. And I think that, you know, for me, I always thought of Sylvie in that episode uh, six, sorry, being more like where Loki was in Thor, you know, she's on this mission. She can't see beyond her anger and pain, even though he's trying to reason with her to please not do it, but she just can't see beyond that and she has to do it. So I always read the kiss more as a goodbye and there is feelings there and it is a culmination of, you know, neither of them being able to quite express it and it's sort of happening at the worst possible time but i didn't read it as a complete deception on her part no i think Mm. it's almost like uh it's both right in that thing of the loki of it all like you know she it's a goodbye it is romantic but yes she's also grabbing the tempad at the same time so Mm. yeah it's layered like Mm. a loki Again, indeed, and you leave her in a pretty bleak place as well. Was that always set in stone that she would she would fulfill her destiny, what she wants to do, and then just be filled with emptiness? I think basically with that ending, we had a few different endings in terms of how the multiverse would be released. But I think it's just when we finally landed upon it should be like you know both of them on opposing sides. Like I mean, we wanted our audience ideally to be on opposing sides. Like some people mm-hmm. who think she should follow through with her plan, and some people are like don't do it. But yeah, but I think the thing that important was important to me was that, you know, it shouldn't be joyous what she does. It's quite horrific. And, you know, when she kills him and just also that it doesn't lead, it, it's kind of like Loki was right. Like it's not going to make her feel full. It's empty. Like she did complete the mission, but it's sort of, you know, she needs like her Mobius therapy session and like <laughs> there's, there's more work to be done. It's not, it's not as simple as like, you know, it's not going to solve all her problems, unfortunately. Yes, uh, very much so. And of course, that's one of the themes of the show. We, you know, there's there's nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And there's the idea of can you change? Can you change? Not just can you genuinely change, but can you change people's perceptions of yourself as well? And the tragedy of what happens between Loki and Sylvie is that Loki has changed. He genuinely has changed, but she doesn't change enough. I would also won't accept, can't believe that a Loki can change his spots slash stripes of him. Get my metaphors mixed up here now, but um, that's also something you guys were 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 going for. Yeah, and I think also the important thing within that change and growth is that she says at the very end, which is a really important line for me, is "I'm not you." <laughs> you know, like because yeah. we because we base our Loki's behavior on the Loki that we all know from the MCU movies. So we're kind of, you know, we've almost got a rule book, right? For like what we think mm-hmm. he's going to do. But I think that was the fun thing with Sylvie is that she isn't, I mean, he calls her a faded photocopy in Ep3, but she's not. She's no. like her own person and she's had a very different life. You know, we get the impression she grew up in a palace, but that was, a, I think she even says a blip. Like it, it's not 
you know, all of her life, really. It's actually more been like in these apocalypses and on the run in a very different kind of way of living. So I think that was the really important thing was that he can project on her his idea, I guess, of like his pain and his suffering, but she's a different person, essentially. Like, you know, they have the same piece on the, the destiny chessboard <laughs> to play, but, you know, <laughs> But but she's different. She's different to him, and that's the 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 nightmare and the joy of relationships, I guess. Is that you know <laughs> you can never know what another person is thinking. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is it. We all we all need subtitles or thought bubbles. Uh, yeah. That would be a terrible idea. <laughs> that, that would be awful, awful. Um, but the, 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 the I want to go back and to kind of the the beginning of the Loki Sylvie relationship from the moment they first meet mm -hmm. that revelation when you reveal her in see episode season two uh, when you reveal her in episode two there's obviously a sense that he's intrigued by her uh, mm -hmm. enough to follow her to wherever the hell she's going but it's obviously episode three where we really get a sense that there's something more here and episode three is interesting for a whole bunch of reasons um, mm -hmm. one of course is that after having set up Mobius and Loki for two episodes and the TVA. You go away from it almost completely. There's no Mobius in episode three uh, and it's very much a two-hander. Was that always the plan, first of all? Yeah. So basically when I pitched on the show, so episode one and two were like early drafts, but what was definitely in them was that, you know, episode one was like this really cool prologue where him and Mobius have it out and, you know, he and then episode two, we get the impression that Loki's now working for the TVA. But I remember looking at that. I think the main thing we brought out of it, honestly, was I felt like Mobius and Loki should be friends because I think immediately it was there was kind of a sense of trust between them. But I was like, but we need to really believe the, that that they've connected. So when he does pivot and go off with her in episode three, it it's painful for Mobius, but also that I think it just helps that mystery because I could see it in the script. But I love the idea of it you know, the buddy comedy kind of aspect of it, because I, I think almost that's what people almost probably expected the show would be, right? It would be like Loki time cop, like copping through time and fixing yep. little mistakes. And I think I loved in Alyssa's script that, you know, she put about Pompeii because I, I almost felt that was kind of what people thought the show was going to be. Yep. And, and And then obviously like all the other places we go to in time are not these big famous moments, you know, we go to Renfair in like 1980s and Rock's Cart, which is obviously more of a Marvel reference, but I think yeah. that that was the fun thing for us was that, yeah, I think it was just about sort of playing with those expectations. But definitely that was always in the DNA of the idea that, you know, you think it's going to be Loki working for the TVA and then in episode three, you know, he ends up on Lamentus with Sylvie. So that's actually, to mm -hmm. be honest, when I, when I saw that in like sort of, you know, the early arc ideas, I was like, well, that's amazing because I, I just want to be part of that. And I love the idea of the challenge of doing that tonal shift and the POV because I think so often in TV shows as well you know they end up in the same kind of location and so you I think I would assume if I saw that in ep2 I'd be like oh okay so every episode will be maybe like a procedural and he'll be in the TVA now but I love mm -hmm. I think that's kind of falls into the thing of Marvel being like we want it to feel like a movie because it does go to these weird different locations across the rest of the show and you don't often see that in TV I think <laughs> no you don't yeah and something turns into midnight run but on a <laughs> dying alien planet, yeah. uh, which which is very, very cool. Mm -hmm. And obviously you've got so much going on there in that episode as well. It has two huge, huge, huge moments, um, inclu including the one which we've talked about. But there's obviously the bit where Tom sings. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
that's not something he's had lived. He's he's learned Norwegian and Latin in a previous episode, uh, yeah. obviously. So how long was that on the board? So that came in a bit later. And I remember that Michael wrote it in and he, I think, because like, I love the kind of like brief encounter or, or and also like, I suppose maybe uh, brief encounter, but also like, you know, before sunrise as well as a reference, um, you know, there's yes. beautiful conversation on the train. And I just love that. I mean, I always think for me, like, that's the sweet stuff, right? For like the rom-com of it always, you just want to watch these two people like hang out and start to get to know each other. And I think, okay, well that was kind of almost like our most rom-com kind of scene. But I think the fun of it with Loki on the train was it again was just another way to show character. Like I thought the song was really fun because, you know, Sylvie's like, I'm going to actually use this to sleep for the first time. Cause she probably hasn't slept in a long time. Um, yeah. But then also Loki's like, cool, I'm going to, you know, have a drink and enjoy myself and have a song. <laughs> and I think it, yes. it, again, was a way to show the difference in their characters. Yeah. And of course, it means that she trusts him enough to sleep around him. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is cool. So how many takes of Tom singing do you do you have? So many. Like, I think we <laughs> we did run it a few times, but mainly because Tom would add dance moves and he'd be like, oh, let's do one more. I want to try this dance move. <laughs> So I have somewhere it was really rowdy and I think we ended up finding somewhere in the middle, but no, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, but the thing that was so funny was cause it was COVID obviously, uh, the people on the train weren't allowed to sing cause it was too dangerous. So like Tom could sing, wow. but they had to, they had to mind clap and do this, you know, like kind of rock. But the people you hear singing in the soundtrack are my my team, like my editor, my assistant, like so. Wow, that they're people from our our post crew. I think because we basically we recorded their voices, and they actually ended up working really well. So the people you're hearing are like, you know, people that worked on the show, like singing along with him. The bartender though is singing; she was allowed to sing, but yeah, but we were limited just for safety. You know, we couldn't have those people Jeez. yelling at each other. So yeah. Don't even think of these things. Wow, mm -hmm. jeepers. That's that's wild. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. Um, well, fingers crossed you got the Christmas number one, because uh, if you know Tom singing Norwegian should should absolutely head straight to the top of the charts. Um yeah. but you also have in that in that whole sequence actually you have one of the most fundamentally important exchanges of the of the show. There's a couple of elements here, which is obviously Sylvie and, and Loki talking mm -hmm. about love and one of the things I noticed, of course, is that ultimately, because Loki's a big metaphor guy, he comes out in the metaphor of love being like a dagger, mm -hmm. which is actually pretty much what happens in the end. I mean, that's pretty much how it turns <laughs> out. So you're a big fan of foreshadowing. Is that what you guys were up to? <laughs> Do you know what? So Michael Michael wrote that in there before we cracked Ep 6, actually, in terms of their fight. But I think... I mean, it definitely, I think, carries across and like, yeah, no, uh, I think that was unintentional at the time, but yeah, but I'm pleased that it's there now. <laughs> <laughs> take the credit, take the credit, yeah, go for it. Yeah. We always meant that to happen. You'll ask Michael and he'll be like, it was always the plan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but no, but I do think it was the plan in the sense of it was meant to show where Loki's you know, like his approach on love, because I mean, both of them, it's so clear, like, you know, he speaks about, you know, there's been different people he's been with, but he hasn't, I, I get, mm -hmm. you get the impression he hasn't been in love. So I, I and that's yes. a very like, you know, 
well, it's just going to be painful and be terrible. So I'm just not going to bother with it. You know, <laughs> almost that yeah. kind of attitude. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get the sense that he he almost feels as he, he he's been above it in some way. That it's mm-hmm. you know, if, if I fall in love, it'll get in the way of a, a good day's scheming, and I couldn't mm-hmm. possibly do that. Uh, until of course he's confronted with himself, and of course the 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 beautiful thing is that Loki falls in love with himself ultimately because mm-hmm. who else could be, who else could capture Loki's heart but Loki? Um, yeah, <laughs> but. You have that exchange, and I know you've talked about this in the in the past, and you tweeted about it and how important mm-hmm. it was. And uh, but the the revelation that that Loki is bisexual, um, bit of both, I suspect, uh, like you. And can you talk about where that came from? I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. obviously comic book canon, and but this is a, such a seismic thing for a, such a major character in a in in a Disney Plus show uh, to, mm-hmm. to 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 say this to reveal that. Yeah. So I think for me, like when I spoke to them, you know, when I joined the show, like I was sort of just asking them really. And I said, you know, because in the comics, he's been written as bi, he's also been written as pan and the show's about his Mm -hmm. identity. So I just was like, are we going to acknowledge this in some way? Because I think it would be well worth acknowledging it. And, you know, it's important to me personally. And I know it would mean a lot to a lot of people. And I think really the whole team, it was important to everyone. I think they were like, yes, we, we've been trying to work out like where we should put this, and but we, we do want to, you know, make sure that's canon. And basically, I think we were all trying to work out where that could be. And I think something that was important to us was that it should feel very normal, you know, the way he brings it up and that it's like kind of matter of fact. And I think with the train sequence, it just felt right, you know, because again, going back to like before sunrise and like kind of the, the romantic films we we're pulling from, it's almost like the first date, right? Like they're getting to know each other and they're asking each other questions. And I think when they're being a bit more raw and he's been a bit more vulnerable, I mean, he even says, I think at the end of the episode, he's like, I've told you everything about myself and I don't know a lot about you, but it felt right when, you know, Loki was being very open and we were learning things about him as an audience, you know, even just Frigga teaching him magic, then it felt like, well, yeah, she could. And and it's a little bit flirtatious, you know, her asking him that. And also I think it's interesting because she's almost trying to work out how similar are we, you know, like, are we that, you know, so I think I think for us it was very yeah we were very proud that we got to acknowledge that and it was really nice just to see the reaction online to it. Yeah, but it's it's also a starting point, isn't it? Uh, in, yeah, in, in many ways. Yeah, I think for me, like I wanted to make sure I'm you know I didn't I didn't want to like be foolish and be like it's a it's a it's a funny one for me I guess because in some ways it could feel like a small step because I'm I'm fully aware it's a line of dialogue you know that we're acknowledging yeah. it in, but at the same time it's a massive step because, you know, I had messages from people on Twitter saying, this is huge. Like in the country I live, seeing something like this on TV is massive. And also there were, you know, I had someone's like mum get in touch with me and be like, actually like my daughter like came out to me because of this scene. So I just, you wow, know, really? Yeah. So I, I just amazing. thought, yeah. So I kind of just thought, well, even just those two comments alone, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. And, and also it's just kind of like, again, I felt like, well, it opens the door for more exploration, I hope across multiple characters, but it felt, I was proud to be part of that step. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we'll, you know, we'll see what happens, not just with Lucky, but you know, yeah, you know exactly. elsewhere within the MCU going forward uh, as well. Um, but of course, the relationship, the chief relationship he has in the show is with Sylvie. And that in itself was a bit of a rug pull because the mm-hmm. character, and she's not Lady Loki, we, we, we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of... Unique. <laughs> yeah, she's she's brand new character. She's a little bit enchantress, a little bit Lady Loki, a mm-hmm. little bit something else. But that is not something that, unless correct me if I'm wrong, that's not something mm-hmm. that's really happened in the comics. I don't recall Loki having a relationship with himself in that in that way. So that was a pretty mm-hmm. big step uh, as well. 
Yeah, I think because basically, so when I joined the show, that was always like the writers already ha had that in there in the sense of, you know, like Loki was going to meet a version of himself and they were going to fall in love. And I just thought that was such an interesting idea. And I think the key thing for me with that being the idea was, okay, well, let's see, like, in what ways are they the same? What ways are they different? Kind of what you were saying about projection, because it's that mm -hmm. thing, like, you know, when anyone it wouldn't be a version of themselves but whenever i think you know if someone has a crush on someone there is that habit of projecting right and you almost project yeah. like what you hope are their best features onto them and then obviously as you get to know the person you get to know the real person but i think that was really interesting just in terms of it being himself because you know kind of what you said about the ending is like he's like i've been where you are i know what you feel and, and i do think it's coming from a genuine place and on some level he does know what she feels but also he can't completely because he doesn't foresee what she's about to do. <laughs> so I think yeah. that, I think, no, I think for us, that was always important. And just in terms of like, you know, exploring new aspects of Loki's character, because, you know, we haven't really seen him have a friend and he finds a friend in Mobius. <laughs> and also mm -hmm. we haven't seen him have a love interest. And I think that was interesting for us was like him just kind of opening up with these different characters and just sort of, I guess, exploring like yeah like this kind of more vulnerable more emotional side of his character yeah and it allows mobius to find another little 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 point just have a bit of needle with him uh in in episode four uh as yeah. well and episode four is really interesting for me um it's such a tremendous episode it's such a tremendous showcase for everybody but mm -hmm. what really gets me is mobius in that uh, because you know, you you have this this thread running through the show, where Loki Mobius is affecting Loki a little bit. And he's infecting him with friendship, if you will. <laughs> but Loki is also infecting Mobius with a little bit of anarchy and a little bit of Loki uh, also. And it all comes to a head in episode four, where Mobius does the thing that he would never countenanced before, which is you know betray Renslayer, mm -hmm. and it leads to him being pruned and. That was such a surprising moment, such an mm -hmm. uh, emotional moment for me. And I love his little defiant speech, referencing mm -hmm. a jet ski <laughs> just before he gets pruned. Can you talk about where all that came from and what you wanted to do with, with Mobius at that moment? Yeah. So I think the real keen, like, I, I think the thing that I love that, like, one thing that Owen actually added on the day was um, It's Okay, where he says to Loki, he's like, It's okay. It's like almost like, you know, because Loki starts to realize what's going to happen. And I love that he kind of owns the moment. And yeah, and I think the speech I just thought was really beautiful. And because we knew we wanted them to have that game, you know, like if you could go anywhere, where would you go? And I think at one point we had it across the whole show up to episode four. And then we actually were like, oh, I, I think I was just looking at it. I was like, actually, it's more powerful to just keep it in that last intimate conversation that him and Renslayer had beforehand. And I think that was the really fun thing with their two characters was working out when is she is his boss and when is she his friend? And mm. I think that was always, and often at times it's in the same line of dialogue, <laughs> which is kind of fun to explore as well. But I think that was very sweet. And I, I think the most important thing for me as well with that relationship was just, you know, that moment with Gugu's character at the end, Renslayer, where he gets deleted, but she does take a moment to like have a breath and collect herself. Cause it's not just like, you know, she's not like, wah ha finally Mobius is gone. Like she didn't <laughs> care about him. And yeah. I think that was really important to show is like, how strong her belief was in the timekeepers to show the extent she would go to protect them. Because then how much worse is that then when she finds out, you know, they're not real in that four and then that five is sort of 
reeling from this like crisis of faith basically and what she's built mm. her life around and yeah but i think with that moment with owen honestly it was it was beautiful writing in the sense of i i, I think owen i think they just the jet ski line you know there's a world but that could be very silly but it's just oh, that's the genius of owen wilson is that i think he just has so much warmth as an actor and mm. he can like sell you that line you know and make it painful at the same time <laughs> yeah he has he's so good he has my favorite uh line reading in the entire show which is <laughs> that's not asgard that's my lunch yeah 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 i think he improvised that line by the way I think that's an Owen improvisation. We've got a lot of them across the show. Like he's, he's obviously, as everyone knows, like a genius improviser. So you use yeah. them where you can. <laughs> <laughs> you sprinkle them in. Yeah. You sprinkle the Wilsonisms. <laughs> but yeah, there's also, I mean, you know, this is a, a very Owen Wilson character in a way that he's very mm -hmm. much, you know, he he is, there's there's a sunny side upness to his nature, but also a hint of darkness, uh, yeah. which is very, very him. It feels like almost like a lot of the Wes Anderson films, right? That I've loved, like yeah. that you know that he's like the ones that he wrote in particular, like Royal Tenenbaums, and also um, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Like, there's always that kind of it's like a funny, sad kind of scene. It's like whatever they're saying is quite funny, but it's always tinged in a sense of sadness a lot of the time. And I think, in a weird way, that's probably why with that Mobius, you know, his death scene in particular, it definitely felt in like you know Owen's wheelhouse. <laughs> it's like yes. he's talking about something that almost seems like not silly but you know it's like it's jokey it could be read in a very jokey way but he grounds it in that pain and yeah. that like yeah so no yeah. we're very very lucky to get him <laughs> absolutely and uh, and of course you know he he gets killed in episode four but uh comes back in episode five and episode five was another moment really <laughs> really affected me emotionally which was when loki says goodbye to him and um, mm. we discussed it in the podcast that you know it felt like these two characters were actually saying goodbye. And mm -hmm. in essence, they are, because the Mobius that we meet, that Loki mm -hmm. meets again, isn't the same Mobius. Exactly. So can you talk about that and and giving that moment the emotional build-up and the emotional finality that it, that it needed? Yeah, I think, honestly, the, the beautiful thing about it, I think, is that, you know, Owen is a very reserved, he's very shy, like, as a person. And Tom is like, you know, very, he's very extroverted on set. And so I think that in itself, like played into the <laughs> hug, right? Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> into the hug, I think that definitely played in. But no, I think really it was honestly about just grounding it in emotion and it feeling real in that way and just sort of letting the actors play. Um, yeah, and mm. we did the scene a few times. And yeah, and I think that was the fun thing with it really was just, yeah, kind of just making sure that it felt earned and it felt real. And we wanted to make sure because I think that we knew by that point, I think we did, or maybe we didn't uh, know when they were going to see each other again. But at, th at that moment, the characters don't know. So I think for us, I think, sorry, what I'm getting at is I don't think we had our mm. very final five minutes when I filmed that scene because I think that came later. Okay. But, yeah. but yeah, but always when you're filming, obviously, it's just about making it feel real. So yeah. Yeah. Was that, a, was that also an ad lib? You know, you were my favorite to, that, that's to Sylvie? I, oh, I can't remember. I, I, I think it was scripted, but I can't remember. I can't remember actually. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it uh, it it heralds well. It's in episode five, which I think mm -hmm. we should talk about. It, episode five. Um, obviously, it's a it's a really fun episode. You get these these different Lokis. Now, it was of course set up by the big post credit sting at the mm -hmm. end of episode four. There was a discussion about not having a post credit sting, 
because the postgres mm-hmm. thing does a lot of things it gets people very very excited about mm-hmm. the idea of richard e grant in some tidy yellowies and you know different loki's and who the hell is that, <laughs> that guy with a hammer all, all that sort of stuff but it also tells us that loki is alive after having pruned him mm-hmm. so was there discussion about that like if we keep this back for one more week people might think mm-hmm. we've actually killed the title character of the <laughs> show um, I think actually, well, because basically that was never planned as a post-credits net before, because weirdly, we didn't have any post-credits like planned across the whole show. And mm. so it was always something that I was chasing and trying to work out, like, what could we put as a post, you know, the mid-credit kind of thing, because it's, it's something Marvel do mm. so well. And, you know, I always stay to the end of the movie, like everyone, and I wait for my treat. And yeah, <laughs> uh, if I see people getting up at the end of a Marvel yeah. movie, I go, amateurs, amateurs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, I really want to do that. So I think that basically it was written in the script. I remember that, you know, he gets pruned and then we go straight to the void and then he wakes up and it's like, you know, how it is like you see them standing over him and then it ends. And I remember just saying like, you know what, I think it'd be cooler kind of what to what you're saying, but I thought, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if we make this mid credits. And then, and then, cause basically Kevin Feige as well, he had the song we use in, in that episode four, basically earlier on, he was just like, I had this song that makes me think of Loki and Sylvie. And I don't know I don't know if you want to use it or where you could put it, but this is the song. And so I took the song and I was trying to find a place for it in the show. And there was one point where I was looking at episode three, but I remember just thinking, well, actually this could be great in episode four because if I move that scene to mid credits and everyone thinks he's dead, like, and that song is so heartbreaking and about yeah. heartbroken love. I was like, well, that's perfect because then people be like, you did it, you fools. Like you, you blew him up. What did you do? <laughs> you know, like, I just yeah. think that was so fun because I, I know I'd watch it and I'd be like, he's dead. I'd be mourning Loki and Tom's Loki. And then you get this amazing treat, you know what I mean? With like our Avengers reference, but also yeah. like our Loki variants and the alligator and, you know, boastful classic kid Loki. So I felt like it was almost like a, sorry, we broke your hearts, but look at this awesome like group. So no, I think it was interestingly, it was more, it was never like it was never on the table to have that. It was just weirdly that it came later in the edit that I was like, well, let's move that to mid credits just to kind of, yeah. Yeah. It would have been fascinating genuinely to see what would have happened (laughs) had you not had that in there. Because obviously, you know, one week later we would have found out that he was okay. But I remember when The Walking Dead did a fake out with 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 um, a major character's death. I nearly said who it was there, and then they didn't even have the actor's name in the credits for like four episodes after that, and people were losing their shit, but not in a good way. Uh, so you probably dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, I I think one of the best ones I've ever seen is in Buffy. I think it's in season two, maybe or three, but Cordelia like falls, and you think she's yes. like died. And then it cuts to yeah. them walking past gravestones. And then they're just like, so Cadelia's okay. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I was just like, you jerks. Like, I thought she was dead. Uh, but yeah, I was relieved, obviously. But it definitely played with my emotions. So I think that was the thing. And, and yeah, and like you said, I think I, I would have to leave Twitter. If we did the one where he didn't wake yeah. up in the void on four. I think I'd be like, okay, I'll have to just leave the internet now um, yeah. until next week. But yeah. and Precisely. I think, yeah. But it's just one more week. It's just one more week. Well, yeah, that <laughs> fine. Then you could have come back on and go, ta-da, it's all yeah. good. Um, and of course, episode five has more Lokis than you could shake uh, an mm-hmm. enchanted hammer at. And, you know, there's a lot of them have their comic book counterparts, obviously, but Boastful Loki doesn't. And yeah. I loved that. Uh, were mm-hmm. there any more Lokis in discussion? Did you have to cap it off at four Lokis? Well, five, including mm-hmm. President Loki? 
Was there like a, a union of Lokis? What what was going on? I remember the early drafts of the script. There were multiple. There were loads of Lokis. There was loads and loads of choice, honestly, of ones we could use. But I think the thing we found was was like, okay, well, let's bring that down to this smaller group that he meets. And you know, kid Loki was a Loki we all obviously wanted to include. Um, classic Loki, I think, was fun to us and. I remember that with the costume, I was like, oh, well, let's do, because, I, I, you know, the MCU and Marvel have a very specific uh, design, right, in their costumes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's make him look like a Loki, obviously from the comics, but also if he was in a Loki movie 40 years ago, because that's sort of the <laughs> idea. So, And Richard, yeah. very sweetly, I don't know if he, he agreed to the show, but he looked amazing in the outfit and he totally, you know, he owns it and he looks fantastic. But I, I don't know when he first saw the outfit, he was probably like, what have I signed up for here? Like, <laughs> um, which was fun. And then obviously Alligator, he was from the writer's room and just everyone loved Alligator. We just thought it was so funny. Um, and then Boastful, honestly, I think like we had like a rough idea for Boastful, but I love the idea of like, oh, what if he's a worthy Loki or that could be up for debate, you know, like, and, and also in terms of, you know, Diobia's read, like, because we had these different actors and I've worked with Diobia before and his Mm -hmm. read was just so funny. So again, we shaped a lot of that Loki around him. But I think that was important for us as well was like, you know, finding that balance of, we have to obviously bring in some different versions of Loki because he's had so many different faces, right, in the comics. And it was so fun to do that. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it was like, well, let's give people someone, you know, a new Loki as well. So I think that was really key to us. And with President, I think, we, he used to just be a bandit leader. And I remember with Tom, he was originally going to just play one of the bandits because I felt in episode two, you know, we have all these holograms of Loki, but all our Lokis don't look like him. And I was like, I feel like we need to deliver on this somehow. And we were sort of at the mercy of the schedule. So my, you know, my team, we were like, okay, well, maybe he, Tom can be a bandit and then he can quickly come in as a bandit and then we'll jump him out and, you know, he can be like regular Loki. But then I think it's just when we, we were thinking about the leader of the bandits and I was like, well, it could be president because that would be really fun. And I feel like he would be leading like this group. And once we knew it was president, I think it was like, oh, we should ask Tom because <laughs> this will be so much fun. And we made yeah. it work obviously with schedule. I think for him, it was a bit of an out of body experience because he was playing like president, our Loki. And then he had to go do some like special feature thing, I think in the evening. And I think he said, he was like, <laughs> I don't know who I am anymore <laughs> by the end of the day. But that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, that is perfect. Yeah, I know. I, I love that because he's so he he plays President Loki. Uh, it's very close. It's closer to the Loki of Thor and Avengers than yeah. the Loki that we you know that the Loki that he is by by this point. And it's so it's so delicious. Uh, mm-hmm. I also have to ask, um, how on earth did you direct him? to that scream that he emits when alligator Loki bites off his hand. That's Tom. Like, honestly, he just went, I, I remember that cause it was crazy. I think having the moving pieces of already filming in the pandemic, cause we had to take air breaks and all this other stuff. And then also just managing to film Tom as president. We didn't have very long to do it. So we had this really like fraught energy to it when we were filming that scene. And I remember <laughs> that Tom was like, okay. And obviously the, the craziness is, you know, we had to do a few takes so alligator, a lot of these characters, the CGI ones, you have like a, a kind of stuffed toy that represents the character. And it's, it's usually there for like kind of camera movement and for the actors to react off. And then you kind of, you do a, ta- a few takes with it and you do a few takes obviously without it. But we found it yeah. easier to keep the toy in. So in the actual original footage of this scene, there is a blue stuffed alligator flying at his hand and he's <laughs> reacting to it. And I have to say the alligator was on a blue pole. It looked bananas. 
but yeah but I mean Tom's a brilliant actor but I remember I think honestly part of it I think was like the energy the frantic energy and probably somewhere to pour that and also I think Tom was just trying to make us all laugh you know what I mean because it's just so funny the scream he does it's perfect it's amazing I mean because he's he's got a quite a deep voice Tom and I didn't think he was capable of going that high yeah yeah yeah, the world Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wild. And uh, um, we'll probably do speed round in a second, but um, uh, that episode is also filled, crammed with Easter eggs, you yeah. know, from the, from the helicarrier to the Thanos copter <laughs> to the thing I missed first time around, which was uh, <laughs> Thor Frog. Yeah. I mean, the thing I would say, a lot of our Easter eggs in that episode, it was a real group effort because, you know, like Kevin Wright, our exec producer from marvel like he loves conspiracy theories so that's how the eldritch is in there and i don't want to say this wrong the uh the poly polybus um i, I always say it wrong <laughs> but the arcade machine because he was really obsessed with that and so he had oh, all these yes. amazing like conspiracy theory ones we put in and then on top of that like dan delu who was our visual effects supervisor he's like a legend at marvel you know he did infinity war and endgame and he loves comic books surprise surprise and he was throwing in <laughs> loads of amazing comic book references and i i think that we all just had a lot of fun and i remember that i built that shot i think inspired by a moment in futurama where i knew i wanted to kind of go through the dirt and reveal the lair and in my head i was always like insert easter egg and i was like i'll work out what it could be and we had like various things in there but when I'm fortunate, I realized that the Throg scene in Ep one wasn't quite working. I was like, well, let's put Throg in that shot then. So he's got a place in the show. And weirdly, I think it almost felt, I don't know, it felt more at home in the void because it's so fun, right? Because it's all these different characters from Marvel that have been deleted and you're like, where are they? So, yeah. So I think mm. that was fun. That was one of my favorite Easter eggs for sure to get in there. So Throg was in episode one initially. Yes. So he was part of a flashback scene during Loki's memories, but it just unfortunately fell right by when Loki was about to see Frigga die. And it was very high cartoon comedy, but then very sad, oh, watching your mother die. And it just, it, it tonally just wasn't quite landing in the right way. And it almost wasn't giving Frigga the respect it should have. And it wasn't landing kind of that emotional beat for us. So yeah, it's just, it's hard, you know, you have to kill your darlings or throgs but yeah or, or just leave them yeah. leave them for episode five it's fine you know yeah, the old saying yeah. don't kill your yeah. darlings just push them back four episodes yeah, exactly uh, exactly and uh, that's hemsworth isn't it doing a little it is yes we recorded yeah. him for it and yeah so that's him doing the voice inside the jar <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly that's the saddest thing in the show because you know all the other look all the lookies are going to be okay in the void you, you know kid Loki's going to be fine <laughs> Boastful, well, he's probably dead now, Boastful Loki, but, you know, they're, they're by and large <laughs> going to be fine. My heart breaks for this poor little frog Thor who is trapped in a jar under the earth <laughs> trying desperately to get to Mjolnir, which is just inches away and he can't fucking yeah. do it. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a metaphor for life. Maybe. Depends how you see life, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a frog in a jar trying to reach a hammer. That's exactly. pretty much <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my life. Um but Hemsworth, of course, is one of the great uncredited cameos in the show. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Alexander is another one. Yes. Not credited. Why wasn't she credited? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know that. Like I thought she yeah. was Oh, that's weird. I don't know. You'd have yeah. to ask the Marvel Studios about it. But like I Maybe um, someone just forgot and uh and they haven't noticed odd. until now. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I it was so funny with Jamie because like me and her got on really well. And I remember that she was liking some of my Instagram posts and one of a uh, journalist was like, Oh, so Jamie Alexander, like she in the show and I was just like 
no, we're just friends. And they were like, oh, really? And I was like, yes, we are friends. We made friends. <laughs> and, like, and, it's probably and how would online. you have made friends? Yeah. We, we, you know, I, could you have been in the same room together? <laughs> I remember just saying, because I remember James Gunn follows me on Twitter, and I was like, no, it's a big family, and we all just follow each other. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I somehow managed to, like, like, yeah, like, weasel my way out of that. But I remember just being like, oh, no, the Sith cameo is going to get ruined. But, it, yeah, I think mm. that was so much fun, because Michael wrote Sith in, and we were like asking, can we get her? And they were like, we'll, we'll make it happen. But I think that was so nice because we don't visit Asgard very much in our show, but it was great to, you know, mm. get her back for that moment, I think. And just, you know, it was just fun to see her again. So I'm really happy that I got to work with her. It was a lot of fun. Loki speaking Latin, where did that come from? So that basically was because we wanted to honor what he would have spoke there. And also he has all speak. So that's another example of his magic that he you mm -hmm. know, can speak all languages. So, uh, so that came from that. And then beyond that, obviously, Tom learned the Latin because <laughs> he studied. Of course he did. Yeah, of <laughs> course. I think he, he studied it so he can actually speak it as well. So yeah. So yeah, that's how yeah. it kind of came to be. <laughs> there you go. And uh, you introduced Sylvie uh, in Withholding Now for a Hero at the beginning of episode two. Mm -hmm. little, little nod that she might not be the villain she's been cracked up to be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think for us, it was that kind of, it's such a fun song. And because we were looking at songs from that year. And again, yeah, it kind of played with it, like, as you're saying, like it played with the idea of good and bad. And also just, I think it was really fun. I think for me, it was also subverting the fact that Sasha's character, C20, you know, she she goes in trying to be heroic, and then it's completely subverted because she's enchanted and she's taking out all her team. So Yes. Yeah, it was kind of playing into that as well. And then just the, obviously the fun era of it all. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Sasha because C20, we're told, is dead and dies mm -hmm. off screen. Um, was there anything more with her? Do we, do we, do we get to see her dead or was Renslayer telling Porky Pies? No, everything you see is like what we always planned. And that I think it was more just the idea that Mobius was going to, we were going to see it from his perspective to obviously learn about Renslayer's betrayal to him. So you're with him in that moment. So almost like we feel betrayed at the same time he does. Okay. And, and mm. Renslayer, we haven't even talked about her and, mm. and where she goes because at the, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the series, you know, she's very integral. I, you know, there's every possibility. Mm -hmm. I might be barking up the wrong tree here, but as she walks through that time door, that sets in plan, you know, Kang has told her something. So that might be a reason why the TVA is so different at the end, that she's done something somewhere or some when. Um, but that character is, you know, can you talk about where you wanted to leave her and, and, and the yeah. arc that she has going through the show? Yeah. So I think the thing that was really fun with her arc was that, you know, I think something that we found later in episode four, for example, with the Sylvie flashback was that I was like, oh, well, it'd be cool if like she was a hunter because we have these moments, obviously, where you get hints, you know, where she's chasing Loki and she grabs her time stick. And I love the idea that, you know, almost everyone's path feels set at the TVA, but Renslayer is one of the few people at the TVA that was promoted from hunter to judge. And and to me, in my head anyway, of the hierarchy, they always felt like very separate departments, like almost like the streams would never usually cross. But so I love the idea that she ended up going from a more military role to this role as a judge. And I think yeah. with her arc, the real key thing for us was that crisis of faith, you know, that she's making these decisions because she thinks she's protecting the timekeepers and it's for the greater good. But then obviously, as we see, that starts to unravel in episode five. And I think that was the fun thing with her. And I love that scene with um, B-15 and her, you know, when she's in the cell mm -hmm. and she's like trying to get that information. And it's almost like a tiny shred of vulnerability because you're like, oh, actually, she's got her own kind of trick up her sleeve. She's got a plan. So 
I think for yeah. me as a you know as a fan, I'm excited to see where she goes. But I think the main thing for us was showing that. Also, the other thing I wanted to talk about just very quickly with her was that I think it was so important for her to call out Mobius and say, "You betrayed me," because he does. <laughs> like you yes. know, like she's had to cover for him multiple times, <laughs> and like, yes. and I think you get the impression that she's doing it because they're friends but it's true like and also when we think about how long they're both at the tva they've been friends for a very long time and you know he meets loki and suddenly it's like head in the clouds and like he's like you know (laughs) making completely different decisions so i think that was really important as well when he came in and you know called her out rightly on deleting him but she's like Mm. well you betrayed me like you did this to me and i think that was important to show where her pain was coming from and why some of those decisions happen but yeah, but mm. I am excited to see where she goes with this new, you know, whatever is on that tempad, basically, mm. and where that's led her. Absolutely. And there's just something about the TVA, which is obviously this almost fascistic death camp in a mm-hmm. way that it's mm-hmm. so interesting in terms of audience complicity that you you anchor us to to Mobius, but mm-hmm. as and, and, and Sylvie, in fact, and as Sylvie and Mobius point out to each other in episode five, you know, they both killed loads of people. Mobius yeah. is responsible for the pruning of maybe even millions of people over the years. And yeah. so is Renslayer. This is pretty hard. There's a lot of red in their ledgers. Yeah. I think that was the really key thing. And like for me, I almost feel like B15 is the most heroic character of them all. You know, she does yeah. makes that big sacrifice in that four and oh and also quickly I'm so excited because that scene when it's her memories, I think what was really important for me with that was that B-15 is a character that thought they had power, realizes they don't have any. So I think it was important to give her power in the moment of when she sees her memories and that the audience don't get to see them. And, you know, they're private and they're hers. But then also for discussion, who is she? Where did she come from? Why is she happy? So I'm excited to see where that goes. But I think, yeah, but B-15 for me felt the most heroic. But the the other characters in the show, I think that's why it was so important for us to have that line in F6, we're all villains here, because you know, normally your two leads are heroes, right? And they're very pure and heroic and they're charging the castle. But, you know, we saw Loki take out someone's eyeball in episode one and it wasn't all that long ago. And Sylvie, as we saw in the opening of Renfed, like she enchants Sasha, which leads eventually to Sasha on this, you know, her character had this horrible demise, but also she kills Mm. all these different characters and the amount of reset charges she's stolen. It's like, well, she's killed a lot of Minutemen. You know, and yeah. it's kind of where do the scales balance really? So I think that was the important thing was that, you know, these two characters that we're now invested in, they're not completely all good. <laughs> so I think it was a helpful yeah. reminder to that. But as you mentioned, yes, it does echo across the show. And we talk about it a lot with Renslayer and with Mobius. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see where they all go. And, and mm-hmm. again, B15 has been reset, I, I guess. So. Uh, be interested to see if mm-hmm. time repeats itself, if if she goes in that, that same arc. I love that that decision, by the way, not to show mm-hmm. her memories. Did you and Wumi talk about what she was imagining? I think that we spoke about, like, in more in terms of performance, like what she was going to imagine for her as an actor. So I'd kind of leave that with Wumi. <laughs> um, but in terms of what the memories are, I would say... I don't know. I think it was just because there was discussion at one point, like, should we see her memories? But I just felt so passionate about it that we shouldn't. Like, I just, you know, I think it is so nice to give. And her performance is just so beautiful, like, in that. You know, I think you get so much more from just seeing her almost feel empowered in that moment. But there's also this great sadness because she says, I looked happy. (laughs) And I think, Yeah. yeah, I think being with her there, like, yeah, just felt like the right decision and so important. Two last things I'm going to ask, and if I yeah. ask any more than two last things, may he who remains himself strike me down. <laughs> um, 
I know you talked about this a little bit, but all of the variants, everyone in the TVA is mm-hmm. human and everyone and the TVA yeah. itself is very earth based. I had read that as it would be that that emanates essentially from he who remains being from from Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but where Loki and Mobius and Sylvie go is also largely earthbound, apart from obviously Lamentis and the Void. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Citadel at the end of time. <laughs> Clearly, that's a that's a conscious decision. Can you talk about that that yeah. earthbound nature of it all? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think with the TVA, there was there were some early versions where like Casey was an alien, for example, <laughs> and like yeah. um, and I think the thing we changed with that though was that you know because the cons- when when I joined we we had the we obviously knew that at the time I think the writers had in the scripts that the timekeepers wouldn't be real. But we didn't have the conspiracy theory that all the TVA were variants. That's something we found when I joined and we discussed. And I think the real key thing in hiding the ball on that was that I felt like, well, if they all look earthbound, like all the people at the TVA, I'm just going to question it less. If there's aliens working at the TVA, it kind of then leads me to more corridors of questions, I guess, where I'm going to be like, but wait a second, where are they from? And where are they from? Are they always, you know what I mean? So it felt like an easier way to at least hide that conspiracy theory with the TVA. And then in terms of Lamentus, I don't know. It wasn't like, I'm trying to think, I think we had spoken about whether they should be alien or not, but I think we just, I think because the references, we had children and men and there was something Mm. exciting to me about showing, I suppose, again, subverting expectations, right? Because we've seen so many fantastic aliens in the MCU and again, it felt kind of a cool idea of, oh, we're going to be on like an alien moon, but actually the aliens look like people of Earth. I just thought that was an interesting idea. So, yeah, I think that's where that came from. Uh, and they have Figgy Port as well, which is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, I don't know what the hell it is in real life, but, you know, but it's, it's nice that they have it as well. Uh, and then the last thing I want to ask you mm-hmm. uh, is you mentioned Casey there. And at the end, in the final episode, we see Eugene Cordero has been reset yeah. as a hunter but it's it's a very very brief mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. background glimpse uh of him um and that leads me to just wondering was was there more what what sort mm-hmm. of stuff was cut out from the show we had someone write in pointing mm-hmm. out for example that there's a couple of shots of tom apparently on the throne of asgard in the trailers mm-hmm. um which obviously didn't make the show mm-hmm. so what 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 didn't make the cut ultimately I think it was honestly mainly that throg scene because that with him in Asgard, that shot people always reference, that's from that scene. That's from so, that scene. Okay. Yeah. So that's the main bit. And then the other ones, no, nothing major, like just trims to scenes, you know, like the ins and outs of scenes. But I think that was the main scene that didn't get in there. But everything else, I think, pretty much is there. We did a bit of reworking to Crater Lake uh, in, you know, in the fourth episode because originally that mm-hmm. was in episode three. But then we found it more impactful actually to put that into episode four. And we did a bit of reworking about how they got caught and everything else. But other than that, I think the majority of the scenes are kind of intact in there, really. All right. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Well, Kate, uh, I'm going to let mm-hmm. you go off, set a reset charge and have a well-deserved break. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers. Indeed. No, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. And that was Kate Heron. Somehow. An hour and a bit just didn't seem enough, but we gave it a good old go. And if you want more Loki spoiler special content, then boy, are you in luck. Because next up on this sacred timeline, an in-depth chat with Loki himself, Tom Hiddleston. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, I'm off to try to reenact Tom's scream when his hand is bitten off. See you later.
Lucky alligator. No, that's terrible. How does he do it? Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. No. Awful. Awful.